Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Have we gotten to this point where people wake up every morning looking for something to be offended about? I live in this place called the real world, and I understand what is going to happen. Her story is, I was trying to scare him away. At the same time, she shot him point blank in the face. Okay, that's not exactly a warning shot. The Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. Coming up next, Squirrel. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the program. A lot of ground to cover. We do not go gently into the good weekend on the Wagner Show. However, we've almost made it. If you follow me on Twitter, I've got a new posting up. Keith Olbermann. Remember Keith Olbermann? Keith Olbermann has crazy lefty, was at ESPN and then had his own show. And he pretty, he pretty now he's back at ESPN. And, and Keith Olbermann is a talented but very troubled sort of guy who quickly wears out his welcome at places. But back when he was doing politics, he used to do this thing featuring the worst person in the world. And, and every night he would, would follow somebody that did. And, and typically it broke down around his political views. But I always kind of like the idea of, of people just calling them out who do Absolutely horrible, horrible things. And I have my nominee for today, the worst person in the world. And I've got a link to the video. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. Here is the deal. And I, if you have listened to me over the years, I, I believe that there is a special place in you know where for folks who park in handicapped slash disabled parking slots when they're not entitled to. I mean, it's just, I, I think it's, it's just about as low as you can possibly get. I, and I, I mean, I remember, I've always told the story. I remember several years ago, my, my late wife, she broke her leg. She tripped and broke her ankle. And, and we, we had a disabled parking permit because, you know, she was on crutches or in a wheelchair for a while. And we would, we would go to the store. I would never use it. I, I just, even though we were legitimately entitled to use it, I would always drop her off and then say, okay, just, just wait here and I'll go park somewhere else and I'll pick you up and then we'll go to the store and we'll shop and then I'll come back and I'll bring the car up in front because I, I just, I felt even though it was legitimate, I would have felt wrong even though I was entitled to do it, parking in a disabled parking space, knowing that there's might be somebody that comes along after me who really needs it worse. So, I mean, I'm just, I'm death on this stuff. So here is the deal. And I've got a video of what happens, again, at uh, on, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 So what happens is there's this guy, 52-year-old man who is paralyzed from the chest down. He has use of, of his arms, but it's been that way for decades. And he drives one of these, you know, the disabled assisted vans and things. So he, he pulls into a Target parking lot in California a couple weeks ago. What he wants to do is take back a shirt. So he pulls into the, the parking lot. He parks in the disabled spot. He's in a wheelchair. He's got the ramp. He does all that stuff. And he notices that in the uh, in the other disabled spot right across the way, there, there's a woman sitting in there. She doesn't have tags, doesn't have a disabled tag, doesn't have a disabled sticker, nothing. She, she's not supposed to be in the space. So the guy gets out. He's in his wheelchair. He lowers the ramp, and he goes over. And, and he apparently bangs on the window, and he says, 
ma'am, this is a disabled parking space. You know, somebody who really needs this, somebody like me, might come along. You, you shouldn't be parking here. And, and that's the whole thing. It's not a confrontation. But he did bang on the window, and he told her you're not supposed to be here. He didn't threaten to call the police, didn't yell at her, didn't curse at her. He just said, hey, you're parked where you're not supposed to be. He goes into the Target store. And this is where the video picks up. He, he's waiting to, again, return this shirt. What you see next is this guy who apparently is the woman's boyfriend. Guy in a hoodie, big guy, comes up and confronts the man. And you watch this video. The video goes for about a minute. And you can see the guy is screaming at the man in the wheelchair. You frightened my girlfriend. What are you doing? You bloody blah, bloody blah, blah, blah. That's apparently he's cursing at him. You can't hear the video, but it's because it's, it's a target surveillance camera. And then what he does, this would be the, the guy who's yelling at the man in the wheelchair. He's some 30-something-year-old guy. He, he grabs the wheelchair starts pushing the wheelchair towards the exit and flips it over, throws the disabled man out of the wheelchair and walks off. The disabled guy apparently breaks his his wrist, which has created huge problems because, again, he he depends on his arms for everything. With the broken wrist, it's just a real mess. They've now charged the man who assaulted the guy in the wheelchair, and the motivation was, gee, my girlfriend and I, we parked in a disabled spot, and a guy in a wheelchair knocked on the window and told her she shouldn't do that. So my reaction is confront the guy in the wheelchair and throw him out of it onto the ground. Huh. All right. My nominee today for the absolute worst person in the world. Who does stuff like that? You can check it out if you follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner 620 All right. Let us get started. And I, 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 I think... On the one hand, we all have to be compassionate to situations that are out there. At the same time, there are situations that come up where, you know, protecting everybody else becomes a huge factor. And that's one of the things going on with this coronavirus. Now, coronavirus is, of course, this special type of virus that started in China very, very infectious, spread it through China. You have a number of people who've lost their lives. Now, admittedly, most of those people are older people who have complications already, health complications. But the, the coronavirus is, it, it's, it's like a really bad cold. I mean, they don't have, there's no vaccine for it. But if you get it, you're going to get sick. It's going to be a respiratory infection. Most people are going to be sick for a few days, but they're going to be able to recover from it. It's not going to be fatal for most people, but it's scary, and it is spreading. They don't have a vaccine for it, and they are trying to contain it because it's something that can be spread human to human via airborne particles. You sneeze, and you're in a room with, I don't know, 30 or 40 people. You've been exposed to the coronavirus. You sneeze, and all of a sudden, everybody else can now be exposed and, and infected. So it's a big deal. In China, they have cracked down on travel. China is not allowing people, particularly in the provinces where this broke out, it's essentially the, the whole thing is on lockdown. They're not allowing people to leave the country. They're not allowing people to move around. They're just saying, we're trying to get a handle on this because it is already spreading. Now you have confirmed cases in the United States. You have confirmed cases in various other parts of the world. People are scared. American Airlines, the pilots are saying, we don't want to fly to China anymore, period. 
All right, so background, that's the background. Here is the story. And the Journal Sentinel has a version of this. I know a number of the TV stations have been covering it as well. There's there's a guy who lives in the Fox Valley. He's married. His wife is a, a Chinese national. She is not a citizen, but she has a green card, so she's here legally. She has there, there's, They have two children. One is five years old, and one is 10 months old. All right, here is the deal. Late January, January 19th, as this whole coronavirus thing is starting to break, right, the, the news of this is starting to break, the, the wife, who is the Chinese national here on a green card, she has made plans to travel back to China to visit her relatives. The deal is they're apparently going to enroll the um, five-year-old in a Chinese kindergarten so she could kind of learn how to speak Chinese, and the, the mom is going to stay with relatives, all right? So she leaves. Now, the coronavirus, the reports were first coming out. We didn't know how bad it was going to be, but this is this is two weeks ago. It is, it's, it's starting. They decide they're going to go ahead and take the trip because they don't know how bad it's going to be. It would cost a bunch of money to cancel the plane tickets. So they figure, okay, you know, what, what the heck, we're going to go ahead and go. Well, okay, mom and the two kids get over there. And the next thing they know, they're, they're, they're in the middle of this, this lockdown. All right. It's they're not allowed to leave. They're not allowed to move. Um, even getting to the airport would be difficult because there's these bans, bans on travel. Now, the guy's family is one of hundreds of Americans who are trapped in Wuhan province as the coronavirus um, spreads further. All right. So. The family is there. The guy is back here in the Fox Valley. The U.S. government evacuated close to 200 Americans who were stranded in the city this week, and they are planning to try to bring out other Americans, uh, maybe, maybe as early as next week. But in this particular case, the lady is not an American citizen. She's Again, she's legally allowed to be here on a green card. The two kids, five and ten months old, they're American citizens by virtue of, of being born in the United States. But you're not going to put them on a flight leaving from China by themselves back to the United States. So for the moment, the mom and the kids are stuck in China where you have this virus that is spreading. And apparently they're trying to see if Glenn Grothman, the congressman from the area, or Senator Tammy Baldwin can get involved and help him out. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Look, I'm sorry this lady is over there. And I think it's very clear in retrospect that they made a staggeringly stupid decision to leave the United States and to travel to this particular area of China when you had the reports of the coronavirus that were breaking out. It's just a staggeringly stupid decision. But but now they're over there. I guess the question becomes, and it is a broader point of policy, not just what you do with her, but what do you do with I don't know, the hundreds, maybe thousands of people who are entitled to be in the United States. They're not citizens, but they've got green cards. Does that mean that while this is surging, we we should bring them back? Or is this one of those deals that, hey, I'm sorry, you went over there, you planned to be there for a few months. You, you're going to have to stay there 
until, you know, this whole thing sorts out. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm sorry for the situation this family finds itself in. At the same time, look, I don't want people who have been in the Wuhan province of China who might have been exposed to this disease, I don't want us just necessarily bringing them back. It takes about two weeks of incubation before you can determine whether or not they do, in fact, have this disease or not, whether they're sick or not. The last thing we want to do is bring people who've been infected back to the United States. All right, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And by the way, it's it's complicated by the fact that since she is a Chinese national, China has already put the, these bans. They've got travel bans on place. They've got rules that they're, they're trying to contain it. They will, don't want Chinese nationals who have been exposed to this. They don't want them flying across the world because they don't want this to spread. All right. How do you handle a thing like this? My response is, I, I think you're in China for a while until this whole thing sorts out. Then come on back. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. Look, I'm sorry this lady thought it was a good idea and decided to leave the United States about 10 days ago to fly with her small children to the Wuhan province of China. Sorry. And I, and I understand that's when the coronavirus fears were first starting to break out. But, but we knew that there was a risk. And the idea that, well, gee, I really want to see my parents and it would be expensive to have to cancel the tickets. All right. I understand that rationale. But once you've made that decision, now that you're over there, I, I, I don't think we should be in a hurry to bring you back until we get a handle on what's going on because you've got to control this and you know people who have been in china especially people who voluntarily make that decision to go over there think they have to expect that all right maybe they're going to just have to stay there for a while in this particular case at least the lady has family over there it's not like she's stuck on the streets let's start with mark in appleton mark here on wtmj hi jeff good afternoon how are you i am well thank you what do you think I think you are 100% absolutely correct. They made the choice to go over there. They knew what was uh, going on at that time, and they are at the epicenter of the virus. And I don't think anybody should be allowed to leave there until they get a hold of this virus to try to contain it. And I do think the World World, uh, Health Organization is not telling the truth here either with how many people are actually infected you know it's interesting i'm getting a number of texts that make that point uh, a number of people are saying that they think that the coronavirus is way more serious than uh, who is already letting us know so you you think this is already spread i do i really do and the other thing is jeff is they let the americans the 200 americans come back they flew them to, to alaska and then to california or whatever to, to get home I think that was a huge mistake also. I think they should have kept them there. Yeah, well, I mean, is, is this, I mean, thanks, Scott. I mean, right, at least, you know, they, they brought the 200 Americans back, and, and these are these are American citizens, because that's the other problem this lady has. She's not a citizen. 
I mean, she she's legally entitled to be here. She's got a green card, but she's she's not a citizen. And part of the problem is China has already. It's not just the U.S. China is saying to for our citizens, and she's a Chinese national. We're not letting you travel because you know, if you've been in this Wuhan province, you know we're worried that you're going to to spread this. And, and so that's the other complicating factor illustrating why it was such a bad decision to leave in the first place. Now I'm not saying she should never be able to come back. But we don't have a handle on this right now. And our approach is, all right, we're we're just we're trying to block people who might have been exposed from coming into this country. And if you have been exposed, what we're going to do is we're going to, like, look at these type of quarantine measures. But where do you draw the line? To me, it's one thing if it's citizens. If you start expanding it to, okay, people who are just people who have green cards that allow them to travel to the U.S. because or visas or whatever, because my guess is there's pretty much everybody in China wants to get out now, and that's what China doesn't want to allow to happen. Dean in Naperville. Dean, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Dean. Well, you know, I, I, honestly, I wish I was adding more to the conversation, but you basically said everything that I feel. You know, the, here's the reality, and, and it seems like in, in our world today we, we don't like to – to say this, but we're all responsible for our own actions. And, you know, they had a pretty good idea what was going on when they went over there. So, you know, they have to understand that um, it's it's for everybody's well-being for them to sit tight so that, as you mentioned, that we can get a handle on this. Right. I mean, it, that is what has to happen. We should not let them back. And, you know, I guess the next question would be, so what are we going to do with all the people that let's say we bring her back? And I know it's hypothetically and she spreads this. What are you going to say to all the people that you spread this to? Well, right, especially since there, I mean, I guess the, the alternative is you could bring her back. You could have her quarantined for her and her kids quarantined for a few weeks. But then why 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 do you bring her back? I mean, she's not a citizen. Do you bring, you know, everybody who wants to travel to the U.S.? Do you say, okay, we're going to let you come into the U.S., um, and, and then you can just hang out for a couple weeks? I, I, I think this is the safer way to approach it, and that's why it makes sense to me. Yeah, thanks for calling. I agree. I mean, I, right. No, yep. thanks for calling. Yep. No, it's, and, and again, it's in this particular situation – the, the, the lady was already planning, my understanding is, to spend a few months over in China anyways. That that was the idea. She was going to go because she wanted to enroll the five-year-old in Chinese kindergarten. And, and that, that that's all fine. But th- this particular lady, she's got a place to live. She was planning to be over there. So it's not like she's on the street. This isn't like some businessman who had to go for a couple-day meeting and now is trapped and can't get it back into the United States, although there are some of those people that are out there. I just think that... We need to be extremely cautious in deciding at the moment, till we get a handle on this virus, until we know how bad it is, until we now how, know how contagious it is. There's lots of doctors that are out there saying, you got to understand, this thing is that this thing might be worse than SARS as far as its ability to spread. We don't know. And again, I, I'm not trying to be an alarmist about it. But at the same time, if we know where the epicenter is, it seems to me insane to allow people to travel from the epicenter into, like, the United States. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back. Maybe it seemed like a good idea at the time, but it just... This is another one of these stories that demonstrates how people nowadays, 
just oftentimes have the impulse control of fruit flies and how it almost always turns out bad. So last Sunday morning, I was driving south on I-43. I'm going past Bayshore. They call it Bayshore, not Bayshore Town Center, but the, the shopping center that I used to go to when I was growing up that, in my opinion, is on the verge of completely dying, but we'll see. Any event, as I'm looking to my left, as I'm heading south, I see they've got Bayshore closed, and there's police cars, and everything is blocked off. And I'm going, oh, what, what is that? Well, what, what happened was there was a guy that was murdered outside the Cheesecake Factory, which is one of the few restaurants that's still open at Bayshore. Almost everything else has closed. Well, now the details of this are emerging. Here, here's what apparently happens. There's a 30-year-old guy. We'll call him Boyfriend. Boyfriend and his live-in girlfriend who works at the Cheesecake Factory. I don't know what she does there, but she works at the Cheesecake Factory. They've been together for nine years. They've got two kids. All right? The boyfriend is unhappy because his girlfriend, who works at the Cheesecake Factory, has apparently struck up a friendship with a guy that also works at the Cheesecake Factory. So they're in the parking lot. Like around 8 o'clock in the morning, boyfriend and girlfriend, who again works at the Cheesecake Factory, and they're arguing, apparently, about th- this this guy who the boyfriend thinks has too close to his girlfriend. And I have no idea what the nature of their relationship is, but they are arguing. All right. At that point in time, what happens is boyfriend sees the, sees the co-worker, the other guy, he arrives for his 8 a.m. shift, okay? At that point in time, boyfriend decides to get out of the car and confront the the coworker, the girl's coworker. So boyfriend goes up to the other man and, and starts, he confronts him. At that point in time, he doesn't leave it at that. He then goes back to his car, this is boyfriend, removes a tire iron from the trunk, and tells his girlfriend, here, drive the car over there to this other guy's, drive him over there. So apparently that's what happens. The boyfriend then uses the tire iron to smash a window on the co-worker's car. Huh, so he's banging on the window with the tire iron. He then gets back into his own car, and the girlfriend drives him back to where they had been parked in the bank parking lot, which is right next door to the Cheesecake Factory. All right, at this point in time, the co-worker, this is the guy who his car window has just been smashed. He approaches the couple's car. The boyfriend gets out of the car, and now they're yelling some more. The co-worker apparently has a gun, fires the gun, misses the boyfriend, hitting the front passenger door window in front of him. The boyfriend, now this is the guy who's used the tire iron to bust the other guy's car window, turns to run away. And the co-worker fires two more gunshots, according to the search warrant. Girlfriend found her boyfriend had collapsed with blood on his knee and under his armpit. So he, he's the co-worker has not been charged yet. And I'm sure they're looking at charges and trying to determine whether or not this is a self-defense thing. If the facts are as alleged, it, it's not self-defense at all. But it appears that the, the girl's boyfriend has now been shot by the co-worker whose car window had been busted out by the tire iron. And so it's it's just a complete and, and total mess. But once again, you, you know, you sit back and you think about all these different things. Somebody's lost their life. Somebody else is going to, in all likelihood, be going to prison for a good portion of their life. And, 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 and over what? 
You've got, you know, I, gee, I've got to go confront this guy, and I've got to pull out my tire iron, and I'm going to show him, and I'm going to bust out his window, and then the other guy takes a gun and shoots him. It's just, I, I guess it, it's life on the streets around here nowadays, but, but seriously, somebody is dead. Somebody else's life is ruined all because, well, I don't know, people just could not work stuff out. All right. Let us switch gears. It is, and I know some people are not going to be happy to hear this, but it is all over but the the shouting. Right now, there are arguments going on in the U.S. Senate over whether or not additional witnesses should be called in the impeachment trial of President Trump. Uh, It's not going to happen. You, You need 51 votes to call witnesses. And the developments, there there are 53 Republicans. So you would need four Republicans to switch. If it was 50-50, the, the motion would fail. There are two Republicans, Susan Collins and uh, Mitt Romney, uh, neither of one of whom has any love for President Trump. They have said that they would vote with the 47 Democrats to, to bring witnesses. So that's 49. The other two people who had not announced how they were going to vote were uh, – Tennessee Senator Lamar Alexander, and he announced last night that he thinks there's enough evidence. He's going to vote against witnesses. So that would effectively have killed it. And then this morning, the Senator um, Lisa Murkowski from Alaska, she announced that she was not she was not going to vote in support of calling additional witnesses either. So they're they're having arguments now, four hours worth of arguments, but it's a done deal. Uh, unless somehow two Republican senators change their mind, which isn't going to happen, there there will be no witnesses called, which means the trial will then proceed into the closing argument phase, which means it could be that you have a vote which rejects the articles of impeachment, and that's what's going to happen. Um, it, it could be tonight. Some people are saying it might get delayed until next Wednesday. Why next Wednesday? Because Monday is the Iowa caucuses, and Tuesday is the State of the Union. President Trump is going to be going to Congress and presenting the State of the Union address, so it might not be until Wednesday. It could be today, might not be until Wednesday when they take the final vote where they turn down the articles of impeachment. And, and that's that's going to happen. So whether it's today or or whether it's Wednesday, it appears that the trial proceedings, this whole thing is all over but the shouting. And I understand that there are some people who are livid that you would end these proceedings without calling John Bolton and Hunter Biden and all those. There's other people who think that this has been nothing but a witch hunt, and the fact that it's gone on this long is outstand- is appalling as well. But that's the reality. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's the aspect of this that I want to talk about. It's moving forward. My question is this. Do you think the impeachment proceedings, what's happened in the House, what's happened in the Senate, do you think it is going to have any impact on the election moving forward? Four months from now, six months from now, ten months from now, as Americans go to the poll polls, is impeachment going to be an issue at all? Or will this just be kind of an historical asterisk that sound and fury but signifying nothing at the end of the day? Will impeachment have changed anybody's minds? Will it matter at all? My answer is probably no, which is why 
I think embarking on the impeachment process was was a bad idea in the first place. I would have done something else. All right, 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Either today or Wednesday, this will be over, period. At least over as far as formal impeachment proceedings. Will this make any difference moving forward? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner, 855-616-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Mike in Milwaukee. Hi, Mike. Yeah, uh, Jeff. I was just telling your screener that uh, I think it will it will have an indirect impact because it's going to make uh, uh, Trump just uh, more bold and reckless, just as he was after uh, Bob Mueller's ineffective performance there in front of the House Committee. Then that very next day, he uh, starts the Ukraine ball rolling. And uh, now it turns that it's going to be stuff coming out still, like the uh, Lev Parnas tapes. And also now it turns out that uh, Bolton's book reveals further that uh, uh, mm-hmm. Trump asked uh, Bolton in, back in May for uh, to, uh, suspended. Yeah, and Ukraine. he says other people were in a. So do you think? Well, let me ask you this: Do you think? Do you think that the public is going to suddenly turn on Donald Trump, or do you think that? Trump will be, to your phrase, emboldened, and he'll do stuff that turns off more of the public. Well, I think a lot of the public's going to say, hey, we should have impeached this guy when we had the chance, because I think he's going to be doing something really stupid in the future. And uh, uh, let's face it, what kind of a trial has no witnesses and documents? I mean, you were a lawyer. I mean, what would you think of that? Well, I mean, I think, I think that, I tell you, I think the House should have, I think the House should have called the witnesses. Now, thanks. I mean, if the, if, I, I do believe that. I think if the House felt this was so important, I think the House should have subpoenaed John Bolton. I, I think that's that's the case. Um, I, I guess th- this is one of the reasons. And I, I will tell you, as I've been saying all along, I, I don't think this was a perfect phone call. I actually agree with what Lamar Alexander said yesterday. He said, look, this, I have all sorts of problems with this. I just don't think it rises to the level of an impeachable offense, which is how I feel about it, which is why for months I've been one of those guys saying, you know, what they should have done is they should have introduced a resolution of censure. Um, saying, you know, we disapprove of this. The House would have passed it. You know, I'll bet you a bunch of Republicans would have voted for it. So you would have had a, a bipartisan a rebuke of the president. You might have even been able to introduce something similar in the Senate, and I, I think you would have had a lot of Republicans that voted for it, because I think there's a lot of Republicans who view this, like I do, as something that, you know, it was unseemly, it was unbecoming, it was something they shouldn't have done, it was inappropriate, but it doesn't rise to the level of something that you remove people from office for. Now, as to... As to whether or not stuff that comes out afterwards is going to cause a, a sea change of opinion, I, I don't see it. I, I, people are dug in on this. You know, people are, are, are dug in, and, and John Bolton can write his book, and that's not going to change anybody's opinion, at least in, in my mind. People either think it's a witch hunt or people think that Donald Trump is incredibly venal and needs to be removed, but I, I don't. That's why I just think this is going to end up being an historical, you know, asterisk, a footnote on whatever happens in November of 2020. What that's going to be, well, that remains to be seen. All right, um, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Todd in Greenfield. Todd, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, sure. I think what this is actually going to... 
I think this is going to strengthen the supporters for Trump to get out the vote because, you know, you've got the Mueller report, nothing happened. you got Russian collusion, you had nothing happened. And now you have this. And now they're saying, they're, they're putting a spin that you can't have a trial without witnesses. Well, they had the opportunity in the House. Yep. So then they switch it over and blame it on the Senate for not having witnesses when they didn't do what they were supposed to do. Yep. Yep. So now they're making it look like to the rest of the public that, oh, it wasn't a fair trial. Trump got away with something. Well, he didn't get away with anything. They didn't do what they should have done to win the case, and they didn't have a case to start out with. Well, see, and I, I think that's kind of the fundamental question. It's, is Do they have a case to begin with? And, and again, my argument is that I, I don't think this is an impeachable offense, although I, I don't think it's something – I don't think it was a perfect phone call or anything like that. So you actually think that there might be a backlash, that Trump supporters just might become even more imp- – emboldened or even more upset that the president was put through this and and even want to work even harder for him, huh? I do, because the Democrats in general, you know, they want to push their agenda. And, you know, Trump stands for a lot of things that the Trump supporters stand for are, you know, sanctity of life, uh, the right to bear arms, to defend yourself, uh, less taxes, and, you know, embolden us to have entrepreneurs as a country, yeah. where they just want us to be dependent upon the government for money and, and give all this free money out and have the hardworking people pay for it. Well, th- thanks, God. Look, and again, I, 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 this is something I have been saying for months about this, and it's one of the reasons why I was one of the people that was supporting the censure resolution. That And people would say, well, if they just censored him, that's not going to have the, any effect. It, that doesn't do anything. Well, okay, going through an impeachment process that results in a dismissal of the charges or an acquittal along, along essentially party lines, that doesn't do anything either, um, except, again, drag the thing out and, and cause people to dig in more politically. I just think, I don't think anybody's mind has been changed by this one way or the other. And that's why I don't think it's going to play out in the general election. I, I can't see anybody voting for or against President Trump because he either, because, let, let's forget the conviction in the Senate, voting for or against him because, oh, the House impeached him or, you know, the House or the Senate didn't convict him. Bottom line of all this is going to be people, they have their ideas. They, I think, understand, or at least most of us understand, you know, what, what happened. And we understand the way President Trump runs foreign policy. And the question is going to be, you know, how do you feel about that? And more importantly, who is the alternative? Which is why I keep saying in this program, it, it, when people ask me who's going to win in November, I, I say, well, okay, let me let me give you my firm opinion on that after I know who the alternative is going to be. Let's talk to, let's see, Sue. Sue, you're on WTMJ. Um, when people say that it wasn't a fair trial in the Senate, um, I think the argument you need to go back is it wasn't a fair trial to start out with. The trial is done in the House, number one. They had 17 witnesses that Adam Schiff called, and Trump got zero witnesses. Trump also got no attorney in the depositions, which never happens. So it wasn't fair to start out with. So you can't tell me it's it's fair in the Senate now. Um, it, that, that's a ridiculous argument. And, and for another thing, the House is supposed to do the trial, and the Senate is supposed to do, they're like the jury, and they're supposed to look at the evidence. And people forget that because they don't know the Constitution. But since my husband's a lawyer, he 
drills it into me. So right. exactly. So you don't you don't think at the end of the day this is going to make any difference one way or the other moving forward? No, I think it it shows Nancy Pelosi now. She's talking about oh this isn't even this isn't even um, you know you'll never acquit him and stuff. It just yeah. it it goes to show Nancy Pelosi is so off the rails. She just and then they think that now the Supreme Court is is not consequential. It's it's ridiculous that. Yeah. That now, question yesterday from the Supreme Court. Right. Now, thanks for calling. So, I, again, in, in, what, what we're here, let me give me a, an example from the other side. Here's a text. Jeff, for Democrats like me, we already have our laundry list of grievances against Trump. We believe obstruction of justice, nepotism, assault on our allies, assault on health care, insurance of murder, um, embrace of murderous dictators, taxpayer funded golf trips, etc. So, now his point is uh, look, the people that don't like Donald Trump. They, they got a whole lot of reasons why they don't like Donald Trump and impeachment. You know, OK, it's just something else that, that fuels that fire, makes it burn a little bit hotter. And for the flip side, we've had a couple of those calls as well. It, it's the other side. It's no, OK. These are people who, you know, never believed this was a legitimate presidency. They've been doing everything they possibly can to get rid of him. Uh, and and I, I get it. None none of those folks on either side of this issue are going to change their opinion. It's not going to make any difference. And and yes, you could bring John Bolton in, but everybody's going to hear from John Bolton. All right. Everybody's going to hear from John Bolton at some point in time. Presumably he's going to go do his interviews on 60 Minutes or on CNN or whatever. And presumably at some point in time that the book is going to come out and people will be able to read it just like they've been able to read any of the other tell all books that have come out. And, you know, they can decide what they think of President Trump. I just don't think at the end of the day, this impeachment proceeding is going to move the needle one way or the other. People's views are are stuck. They are dug in. They are not going to change. And that's why we're going to have to see what the ultimate verdict on President Trump is. And that's going to be rendered by the American people, including those of us in Wisconsin, because we're going to have an outsized role to play on it. And that verdict is going to be returned. That's the verdict at the end of the day that really counts the most. And that verdict is going to be returned in early November. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. How can I say this subtly? Or how can I just say this? Here is the message to Republicans and Democrats in the state of Wisconsin in the legislature. Here's what you need to do. You need to tell the Tavern League of Wisconsin on this particular issue to pound sand. Yes, pound sand. Because it, it is amazing to me how these special interests, and, and it happens all the time in this particular case, I'm singling out the Tavern League, can stop people from engaging and doing common sense sort of things. Here's a follow-up to a story that we talked about a week or two ago. All right, we all know we've got the Democratic National Convention that is coming to Milwaukee. State law right now says that on weeknights, bars have to close at 2 o'clock. This is state law. On weekends, that would be Friday into Saturday and Saturday into Sunday morning. They can stay open until 2.30. All right, that's it. We have all these delegates that are coming. They think that there's going to be like a total of like 50,000 people there. Most people are going to be staying at hotels. Sometimes the the, the, uh, sessions run late. And so there is a movement afoot 
a movement that makes sense to me that says for the Democratic National Convention, recognizing we have all these people coming into the state, we will change the law on bar closing time. We'll let bars stay open till four in the morning for, again, the the run up to and the convention. Then we go back to our normal time. I think that makes incredible sense. I mean, as, as I've said in the most basic form, if, if you've got some Democrat from Mississippi that's staying at some downtown hotel and they want to spend $15 for a martini at 345 in the morning, why in God's green earth wouldn't we sell them that $15 martini? You know, why wouldn't we do that? That's my, my question. And you would think that the bar owners would like that. You would think that the restaurant owners would like that. You know, reasonable people can argue about whether this bar closing time is too restrictive and should it be changed for other things. But if the question is, do you change this for the Democratic National Convention? To me, the answer is yes. And you would think that organizations like the Tavern League would get behind this 110%. but, But they're not. The Tavern League is trying to use its influence to lean on politicians. See, the Tavern League doesn't like the state of the law with regard to the to wedding barns. And, and this is an issue. I know people talk about it. I don't care. There, there's there's all these there's wedding barns, you know, people who like rent out their facilities for weddings. And the state of the law right now is you can bring your you can bring liquor into them. You don't need a separate liquor license. And the Tavern League doesn't like that because they think it competes, and they want the law changed to make clear that these wedding barns can't operate unless they have specific liquor licenses. So it's a it's a competition thing. I don't care about this issue one way or the other. I, I don't. I understand some people say the freedom to do business. I don't care. But the Tavern League is leaning on Republicans and Democrats not to take up the let's let the bars stay open till four in the morning thing during the DNC to link that with the wedding barn stuff where there really isn't a lot of agreement. And so far, it appears that these strong arm tactics are working. But there's a story in today's Journal Sentinel. The Keep in mind, this year, the state legislature is only scheduled to be in session until March. All right? it, we're already in early February, so there's not that many floor days. There's not that much time for legislation. And it appears, at least according to the story in the, in, in the paper today, is that um, this legislation, it, it, it might not move just might not move because, again, you've got this wedding barn thing that's tacked on to let's let the bars stay open, and because of that, it's this mess, and there might not be an agreement. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I admit this stuff makes my head explode. Is there any reason why we should not allow the bars to stay open till 4 in the morning for the Democratic National Convention. 855-616-1620. The, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, and my answer is, is no. And and once you get to that point, that answers everything else. If we agree that this is a special sort of occasion, all right, and that there's no real fundamental societal problem with for the week of the Democratic National Convention, if there's no fundamental problem with, or maybe the week even leading up to that, allowing 
people to buy $15 martinis at 3.45 in the morning in their hotels. All right, why don't we just go ahead and do it? And then if later on we want to have the conversation about wedding barns or you want to have the conversation about, gee, should we ever, should should we make other exceptions for other events when Northwestern Mutual agents come into town? Or should we allow bars to stay open? Um, should the state not even have a law regulating bar time, which candidly is where I come down? But let's have that conversation. But for the love of goodness, can't can't we just agree that allowing the bars to stay open till 4 a.m. for this limited period of time during June and July makes sense? It makes economic sense. It's not going to cause social problems. And can't we just get it done? All right, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And and if you think that it's not a bad, it's not a good idea. Okay, I, I'm willing to talk to you. Tell me why. What would be your objection to that? Why do you think it is a bad idea, given the fact that we're going to have all these people that want to spend money making and leave it in the pockets of restaurateurs and tavern owners? All right, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Patty in Oak Creek. Hi, Patty. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you doing? Good. Listen, uh, this is kind of ridiculous. Um, the Tavern League thinks that they run this state, and I hope some people from the Tavern League are listening to this message right now. The Democrats and Republicans should take, get any, take any money from them. Okay, they've been, they've been dictating how people should run their businesses for, for many, many years, and that's got to stop. If people want to go out and buy a $25, $20 martini, yeah. go out, go out and do that. You know, nobody absolutely, and the, the Tavernly should not be dictating how we should, how people should be running their businesses. Well, well, well exactly. Now, look, I, I think you can have these larger questions about if we make this exception for the DNC, should we make other exceptions? And, and, and I'm willing to have that conversation. But the, the, the question at the moment is, do you do it for the DNC? And I swear, I don't understand any reason at all not to do it. For that it's uncomprehendable, weeks. Jeff, seriously, I mean, that why they're not doing it. These people are coming from, you know, all around the world. You know, these news news people that are broadcasting this, they're going to be, and you know, you're, you're in the industry, yeah. that you're out and about and you want to go have a drink and, and just relax and unwind, and sometimes these folks are going to be getting done, you know, 1, 2 o'clock yeah. at night. And they're not going to have what go in their room and have room service when everything is shut down right, at a well, certain time at certain hotels. Yeah, no, thanks. Right, and here, here's what it's going to be. It's it's going to be there. How this is going to play out mostly is, and I've I've been to. I, I mean, I went to the Republican National Convention in 1996. I was an alternate delegate. But I mean, here, here's here's what happens. You come back after after the session, and then you know you you go out. You typically end up in the hotel bar or something like that. What? Why not allow people to spend money in that situation? Now, you know, will, will some people be traveling? Well, is this going to increase the instance of drunk driving? I, I mean, look, people that are going to drive drunk are going to drive drunk re- regardless. I guess this is just something that takes money out of the pockets of, interestingly, probably a lot of members of the Tavern League. Again, it just makes absolutely no sense to me that you would do this. Zach in Waukesha. Zach, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for taking my call, yes, Jeff. Hey, I, I, if the Tavern League is making money off the bars, why aren't they, you know, why wouldn't you want to keep your revenue coming in longer? And like I was uh, telling you yeah. the screener, this could be a great trial run. Let's keep them open till four, like a lot of other big cities in the United States do, or big cities around the 
world. Or Las and, Vegas, you know, that they stay we, open all yeah. night. You know, North Las Vegas, you can New get Orleans, a drink in five 20, yeah. 24 hours. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, it's a whole other call for open uh, open plastic container, which I would love <laughs> to talk about that. Right. But um, the, the child basis, if we burn down the city because we do it, Take it back to two thirty. If everyone's making more money and more, and that people right. are having more fun, and the bars can handle it, then we should keep it open like a big city. Draw more big city people, more big city acts, and say, "Hey, we're finally here on the big stage. We can compete with you, but not. We got to be open like everyone else is, like all these other big cities. So let's trial run." And the only negative thing about this whole uh, thing, keeping them open till four, if they do it, is I'm going to be drinking till four. (laughs) (laughs) Zach, Zach, I I, I wish I had something to give you. Sometimes they give me prizes to give to great callers. I don't have any of those. I saw it to pick up my golf cart. I'm coming on Monday. You gave me one before. I would have been two for two. You would have been two for two. Absolutely. Thanks. You you come get that golf cart, right? I don't don't have one to give you away. But I guess, see, that's my point. And first of all, I, I... you, you want to talk about cutting, I hate the cliche, but you want to talk about cutting off your nose to spite your face. I mean, the tavern, like, hey, we, we want this wedding barn issue, so we're going to lean on lawmakers and try to get them to combine this. Well, okay, my guess is lots of tavern league owners, uh, members of the tavern league, they're going to be the bar owners that are going to be making this money. But I agree with you, Zach. I mean, here's the thing. May, I just, I don't think there's going to be any problems with this. I, and look, and I, I'm one of these guys that's death on drunk driving, but the truth of the matter is most of these conventioneers that are coming into town, they're not going to have cars. I mean, look, you try renting a car in an area where there's, you know, the, the convention. They're not going to be driving long periods of time. You know, they're going to be hanging out in their hotel bar or they're going to be, if they're staying, you know, at some of the hotels downtown, they're going to be walking over to some of the area establishments and things like that. I Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is going to lead to all sorts of fights or all sorts of additional drunk driving charges, things like that. I don't think so. But but if it does, then, then you know. And, Jack, you are exactly 110% correct. Okay, then we know moving forward, gee, we tried this for the DNC, and look, we had all these additional problems, and, and that's, that's why we can't allow the bars to stay open another hour or an hour and a half. I don't think that's going to be the case. And if it ends up that I'm wrong, well, then you know moving forward, never again. We, we won't do this. On the other hand, if, if I'm right and Zach is right, okay, maybe that's this impetus for saying maybe we don't need a state law that regulates when taverns have to close. Maybe what we should do is leave it up to localities and then allow the localities to, uh, again, make make changes depending on what the different circumstances are. Maybe we think normally, okay, the 2 a.m. closing time makes sense, but, you know, we, we've got all these thousands and thousands of people coming in for this activity or that activity. Maybe we'll come up with plan B. All I'm saying is, is try it, or at least, at least let's have the debate on the merits of the issue. Maybe reasonable people can disagree about this, but to tie this up and to kill this idea without considering it on the merits because you want to link it to this wedding barn thing is, to me, a, an act of political cowardice. And Republicans and Democrats in both the Assembly and the Senate, they should not give in to this. And to the extent that you've got lobbyists with the Tavern League who are pushing to link these two together, we need a profile and courage moment where some of the leadership, and yes, the Republicans, Republicans are in leadership, need to step forward, need to say to the Tavern League, 
pound sand. We're going to consider these things separately. We'll take up the wedding barn legislation at some point in time, but we're not going to, if we believe that a 4 a.m. opening time, uh, closing time is reasonable, we're not going to not do it because you want some other sweetener thrown in. This is Jeff Wagner. Okay, fair is fair. I have a text. Jeff, isn't Wagner's rule of life number four that nothing good happens outside a strip club at two in the morning? Oh, you got to make up your mind. Well, yes, that is Wagner's rule of life number four. And I, if, if we have people coming from the Democratic National Convention here, I, I, I would suggest that, you know, hanging out outside a strip club at two plus in the morning, well, that, that could lead to a few problems. That's not saying, though. That if you want to go back to the hotel and if you want to sit in, you want to have a beer at 2.30 in the morning and you want to get charged $12 for it, I, I think, you know, we're, we're all grown-ups and we all make choices, and I think you should be able to have that choice. Just saying. All right, Jordan is producing the show today because Gru is off on another one of his frolics. Yeah, somewhere in Green Lake. Somewhere, I know, I know, I know where he is, and yes, he, he's he's somewhere in Green Lake on his frolic. Okay, here's the deal. Do you know who Fred Silver, Silverman is? You ever heard that name? The name sounds familiar, but I'd be lying if I told you I knew the guy. Melissa, well, I didn't ask if you knew knew in person, but you, you don't know who he is. You no, know who I don't. Fred, Melissa, Melissa, do you know Fred Silverman? I do not know Fred Silverman. Okay, and again, this is it's one of these tests about stuff that makes you feel old. Fred Silverman, in the day was probably the most famous producer of television in the country. Now, back in the day, before the, the cable onslaught and before all these different streamings and things like that, there, there were three big networks. There was CBS, ABC, there was NBC. And that's what a lot of us grew up with. Silverman was a top executive, and, and he worked at all three of the networks, first at CBS, then ABC, and then NBC. He was the guy who put shows like All in the Family and the Mary Tyler Moore Show and MASH and Hill Street Blues and Laverne and Shirley. He was the guy that, that put all those on the air. And, you know, what happened in the 60s, a lot of the TV shows that were on the air were, it, it was kind of, Family fair sort of stuff. It was Andy Griffith, the, the Beverly Hillbillies, shows like that. And, you know, Silverman was the guy that came in in the early 1970s, and he was the one who, who greenlit programs like All in the Family, you know, where you took, you know, tackled con, uh, contemporary issues and things of the like. You know, and Silverman was the guy that really, you know, really changed TV history. And, you know, he went from CBS to ABC, and he pretty much turned around ABC. I mean, he was one of the guys that that the green lighted Roots, which was the landmark miniseries in 1977. And, and then, you know, ultimately he left ABC and he went to work for. They brought him over to NBC, and he did Hill Street Blues, which I think is I think is one of the best TV series of all time. And I think you know, without Hill Street Blues, you would not have had a lot of the stuff that we had later on. But he, he did all those sort of things. He was just just a huge force in television, and he was the guy that controlled all this stuff. But you know, he, he pa- the reason I bring this up is he, he passed away earlier this week at the age of eighty two. And my guess is a lot of people, you know, are seeing that Fred Silverman, Fred Silverman, Fred Silverman. Why why do I why do I know that name, or why why do you get an obituary in the New York Times and the Washington Post? Well, you do because th- this guy dramatically changed television and. Nobody remembers him. 
It just shows that uh, all fame and glory is fleeting. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. So, Jordan, Melissa and I are talking during during the break, and and we're, we're both saying, you know, but she said, How, "How's it going?" I said, "Well, it's Friday. I'm, I'm ready for the weekend and all. I got another hour and a half to go." And she says, "I'm I'm ready for that too. It's been a long week." And I said, "Wait a minute, Melissa. D- didn't you have Monday off?" <laughs> and I literally I had to think about it because it's been such a quote unquote long week. I was like, "Wait, you had Monday off? It, I did have Monday off. Darn it." <laughs> well, that's okay. It can still be a long week. Oh, I'm, it I'm still just felt saying, so yeah. long. <laughs> That oh. work never leaves your desk, though. I mean, it's there waiting for you. <laughs> it yeah, is. That, that, that it's is. haunting you. That, yeah. that is. It's. It's like. Um, okay. Well, there. There you go. It's. Uh, I, we have. We're. We're dealing with the same thing. My. My wife has this monster cold. Fran. Mm-hmm. Poor Fran. She's got. Oh. This, she, she's ter- terrible cold. But right. we. We have all these plans, and because she never likes to change things or cancel, it, she's like, okay, well, we're going to go ahead and do this, and I'm like. Okay, well, you know, we're leaving for Florida a week from tomorrow. That's we're right. Spend a week. And I'm like, okay, well, I, I appreciate that you like, know you, you want to do all this stuff, but right, but I, I don't want this bad cold to turn into pneumonia or something, and then you're sick for that. But so yeah, we'll, we'll Brianna's one of those people that is always on the go. It seems she, right. She is always she is always, always on, on the go, go yeah. and she has that like <laughs> she's got me by the belt, pulling me along let's with go, her on the go. go. Yeah. It's we we can't cancel this. We can't cancel that cough cough hack hack. Aww. It's like, honey, feel better. Well, I hope she feels better. I boy, I do too. Trust me on this one i give the local newspaper credit i don't think this story turned out the way they were hoping it did but they went ahead and published it anyways so often i I think one of the reasons you get the the media bias that you see is that you get there's a tunnel vision they start out a, a, a reporter or an editor that you start out with with an idea and it has a premise this is happening this is bad let's go then find facts that support that premise and what happens a lot of times is that you you go out and the facts don't support the premise but you you've you've already put work in and so you don't want to bail on that so you, you run a story even though the facts don't necessarily lead there it's a lot like happens on occasion with law enforcement. You know, we, we've been talking about some of these sort of high-profile cases where you have prosecutors or investigators, they come up with a theory. And, and even if evidence is developed that doesn't support the theory, they don't want to bail it, be, bail on it because they, they've decided. The Richard Jewell case, and, and that's there's the movie out, Richard Jewell, there's going to be a new TV series coming out on, on one, of the, one of the streaming services about this. But, I mean, that, that was the case. Richard Jewell was the security guard at the Atlanta Olympics who found that the pipe bomb that had been planted by a guy, I think his name is Eric Rudolph. Okay, Jewell finds the bomb. Right, Jewel tries to warn people, and the, the bombs ultimately go off. Jewel is hailed as a hero. Well, the FBI is under pressure to solve this. They have a couple quote unquote experts who say, you know, Richard Jewel, he fits the profile of, of this lone wolf bomber. The guy was a, a law enforcement wannabe, kind of perpetually underemployed, viewed himself as a, you know, wanted to be, again, this big time police officer. And they say he checks off all these different characteristics of being like this lone bomber. And so they decide that Jewel did it. And so they focus on him, pretty much ruin the guy's life. But even when they start finding evidence, 
that tends to indicate that, that disproves the theory. Like, for example, they decided that the profile that they used to target Richard Jewell was it's a lone bomber. This is this is what lone bombers do. Well, early on in the investigation, somebody had called 911 saying that there was a there was going to be a bomb that went off. Okay, so they assume that and they'd done it from a payphone. They assume that that again, it's lone bomber, so that had to be Richard Jewell. Well, you know, quickly they figure out that they have all these eyewitnesses who saw where Jewell was at the time the call was made, and he he wasn't anywhere near the payphone. He could not have made the call. So the key element in their profile was, hey, it's a lone guy operating by himself. Well, early on. They realize, huh, there, there had to be, it's not a lone guy. There had to be more people. But they ignore that because, again, they, they've zeroed in. So that's one of the things. And you see that in the media a lot of times, too. They, they decide, we're going to write this story regardless, and we're going to shape the facts to make it seem what we want to be. Well, okay, there's a story in the local newspaper that I have a feeling I have an idea as to where they thought the story was going to go, and it didn't go in that direction, but they wrote it nonetheless. And I give them credit for that. There is this huge issue in Wisconsin about the, the state law says that the the state elections board and local municipal courts clerks have to keep their voting rolls up to date. And so the law is very clear. There is this procedure that is set up. The state of Wisconsin uses this service and other states use it too that keep track of when people move. For example, if you change the registration on your car with the DMV, all right, the, 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 what'll happen is this service will identify that and will say, oh, here's a guy who used to live in Milwaukee County. He's now changed the registrations for his automobiles to Waukesha County. All right. That doesn't necessarily mean that you've moved, but it's a pretty good indicator that you had. Maybe you go to the Postal Service and you have all your mail forwarded. Okay, you used to live in Milwaukee. Now you're having all your mail forwarded to an address in Waukesha. Is it definitive evidence that you've moved? No, but it's indicative that you probably have. I mean, there might be some reasons why you didn't. But in all likelihood, that's why most people do it. So what happens is, under the law, when this service gets reasonable evidence to believe that you've moved, like you've changed your, 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 your mailing address, you've changed your registrations, what they do is they send an, a notification to the state elections board. The state elections board is then supposed to send out a postcard to your old address, and the postcard says, hey, we have evidence indicating that you have moved, um, and please, if that's not the case, you have to tell us. And if you don't tell them, the law says you get taken off the rolls. So the state elections board and a number of area clerks, they don't want to follow the law. And this is the subject of litigation, and it's heading to the uh, Ozaki County judge said, hey, the law is really clear. You, you have to... You know, you have to take people off the rolls if they don't respond to this. And you've got some people who don't like that. And so now the matter is kind of up in limbo as to whether or not the law is going to be followed. The appeals court's got to decide. Maybe the state Supreme Court's going to get involved. But so what happens is the paper decides, let's find out some of the people to whom they got these cards. Who are some of the people that got the cards? And so they, they start, 
you know, checking and finding out uh, some of the people that the cards were sent to. And interestingly enough, I mean, the story says they find that, you know, it state legislators, you know, got the notices. Um, they Well, here's it. Among the thousands of voters flagged to be possibly removed from the ro- voter rolls, two state lawmakers, a cabinet secretary, a Milwaukee County supervisor, and a former University of Wisconsin chancellor. Oh, these are people that got these notifications. Well, you know what it turns out? These are people that moved, <laughs> that the system was working because, yes, yes, in fact, they, they did move and they wouldn't be entitled to vote from their previous address. Now, nobody's alleging they did any wrongdoing. I mean, they haven't voted from their previous address. But, yes, these are these are all people that had, in fact, moved. The information that the state got from this service indicating that they had changed their address for whatever reason. Yeah, it was indicative of the fact that they moved. So this is a situation where the system worked. And my guess is, I mean, can you find certain instances where people got triggered by this system and and they hadn't actually moved? Yeah, but there's not going to be that many of them. And that's why the law is in place. That's why the law makes sense. And keep in mind, in Wisconsin, we have same-day registration. So if you, all right, get one of the postcards you haven't moved, you know, for whatever reason, you know, you've changed the registration on your car, but you're still living at the same place. All right. You, you get one of those postcards. All you do is send it back and say, no, I haven't moved. And you don't get removed from the voter rolls. Or if you show up to vote and they say, hey, you're not on the rolls anymore. We have same day registration. You just register. You go ahead and vote. Would it be a bit of an inconvenience? Yes. But the bottom line of all this is this is the system that is designed to prevent a degree of fraud. It makes sense, and it appears in the overwhelming majority of cases to be working. And the story in the paper today pretty much demonstrates that. Credit to them for publishing it. It would have, I acknowledge, be a better story if they found state lawmakers and all these people who had, in fact, not moved, but yet were going to be bumped off the rolls. But it's a system that's pretty much working as intended. This is Jeff Wagner. We talk a lot about discrimination in hiring and how tough it is for people to get jobs. I am more and more convinced that one of the groups that is discriminated against perhaps as much as any other group, if not more, are people over a certain age, maybe people over the age of of 50. What got me thinking about that is there's a story out about how the UW system has settled an age discrimination case against a former long-time employee. Here, here, here's the deal. Apparently what happened is there's this woman who worked as a communication specialist at UW-Waukesha, a 26-year career with the system, uniformly positive performance evaluations. Okay, in 2015, because of budget cuts, she ends up losing her job. Okay, so she's 53 years old, worked you know for 26 years in the system. She applies at the age of of 53 for an entry-level position. Hiring committee says no to her, hires a 23-year-old who was months away from graduating and had less than a year of experience. Now, federal law bans employers from discriminating against employees and applicants who are 40 and older. The system argued in court that there was no connection between her age and the decision not to hire her. Um, Ultimately, 
that didn't they ended up settling the case and and she you know ended up getting paid so the UW system still doesn't say we discriminated against this woman um, and we didn't hire her for the entry-level job at the age of 53 and instead went the, for the 23-year-old, but age had nothing to do with it. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I understand, big picture, discrimination on the part of employers is very, very difficult to prove. But I think anybody who is over a certain age, 45 or, or 50, suddenly losing their job and going out into the workplace trying to find another job, my guess is you can sympathize with the situation that this woman found herself in. Like, hey, I've worked for the system for 26 years. I've got all these great performance reviews. I understand it's an entry-level job, but gee, all of a sudden, they're not hiring me at the age of 53. They're hiring a 23-year-old that has no experience at all. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I don't know how you, it's very, very difficult to prove age discrimination, But again, my sense is that if you're looking at at really one of the areas where employers making the decision for whatever reason that we don't want to hire the older employees, maybe it's because we're concerned about health care costs. Maybe it's concerned about, gee, if we hire somebody who's in their 50s. Uh, they're, they're just going to be more trouble. Maybe it's because, you know, we're hoping somebody's going to be with us 30 years, and if we hire somebody who's 53, you know, they're going to be looking at retirement. And Maybe it's it's all those different factors that, that come in. But I think you look at a lot of companies, and age discrimination is one of the most insidious things that's out there. Tougher, arguably, to prove than gender discrimination, than race discrimination, but, but out there nonetheless – my guess is there's a lot of people who've, who've been on the front lines of this and said, hey, I lost, for whatever reason, I lost my job, downsized, whatever. I'm in my 50s. I go out there, and I just I can't even get a whiff. All right, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jordan is lining up the calls. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. But by the way, the, the woman who uh, settled the case, she got $45,000 from, from the system. She said she was passed over for an entry-level job. A college student got it um, over her. Okay, here's a couple texts before we go to the phone lines. Uh, Jeff, I'm 55. I've applied for a number of jobs. You go out there, you can feel the sentiment that they think this guy's too old. It hurts, and it's scary. Jeff, my husband was downsized after age 50 and was never able to find another full-time position. This was 15 years ago, and because of that, I'm never going to be able to retire. Uh, Jeff, you're absolutely correct. Ironic how many employers will adjust to the sometimes unreasonable workplace amenity and clothing and appearance demands of young applicants while putting productive, dedicated, experienced older workers prematurely out to pasture. Let's talk to Heidi in Milwaukee. Heidi, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Hi. How are you, Jeff? Thanks I'm, for keeping me company every afternoon. You are very welcome, and thank you for joining me. I appreciate that. What do you think? What's going on? I I was out of the workforce for I'm 60, and I was out of the workforce for 22 years with a disability. And coming back, I I now I have a job, but it's like lower than entry level. Okay. You barely need a cult. I had such a hard time, not just with the age discrimination, which I could certainly feel, but with 
everyone using um, websites like Indeed and LinkedIn and navigating those technical, mm -hmm. you know, where you post your resume, and I never got calls from anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so, I get, yeah. So, I mean, you, you, there's no question in your mind that you think that you've applied for jobs that you've oh. been qualified for, but people figure out how old you are and just aren't interested. Exactly. I mean, I was a computer programmer and I couldn't get hired at the gas station down the street as a clerk. Yeah. That's, I, well, Heidi, I, they should, I mean, I, I just, I don't think you're alone. And I think this is one of the undertold stories that's out there. Now, I, I mean, look, I, I understand that. I, I mean, I think there, there's different skill sets. And, and candidly, okay, are, is is my is is my computer knowledge right now as good as maybe somebody who's you know just gotten out of college? Probably, probably not. And if I was applying for one of those types of jobs, okay, maybe you, you do that comparison. But I don't get that sense. I just think there's a lot of employers for whatever reason they they don't want to they don't want to bring in the older employees. They figure again maybe it's going to be a health insurance issue for the, the company. Maybe it's going to be that they're they're not going to be around as long. Maybe it's going to be somebody suggesting in one of the texts that. They're just that, that you're concerned that older workers are stuck in their ways and they can't change and any of that. But I don't know that I buy any of that. Bottom line is, I, I think there is this sort of systematic idea that's out there where people look and they say, oh, you've got a little bit of gray hair or your hair's a little bit thinning or you've got this extensive resume. But, boy, that means you, you must be like 54 years old. And, oh, we can't go for that. Scott in Waukesha. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um I'm a libertarian and conservatarian, um, but you know there's market forces, and you know we talked. You said mentioned healthcare. Um, it, it's too bad, but I, I definitely think that there is uh, age discrimination out there. Mm -hmm. um, I think with the with the the teachers things and the government uh, lady there that got fired and then rehired. No, that re couldn't get hired. Right. That's that's a whole, that's not a free market thing at all. That's that's a union thing or, you know, and, and suing the government taxpayer glom of money, you know. Well, except but, uh, except it was in that case it, it wasn't a union thing. It, it was a uh, you know she applied. You know her, she she gets downsized, so she says, "Hey, I want to keep working in the system. I'm in my fifties. I I've got another X number of years to to go before retirement." And so she applies for a, a job where she would admittedly probably be underemployed. It's an entry level position, but as long as she's willing to do it, it just it just stinks to me. We we wouldn't say okay, you'd be uh, justified in not hiring her because of her race. We we wouldn't say you're justified not hiring her because of her sex, but we say, okay, wink, wink, nod, nod. We're not going to rehire her because of her age. Jeff, I work for a company that's seen rapid growth over the past eight years. I'm 38. I feel old at the company. Everybody that is hired is young and fresh, usually in their mid-20s. Funny thing is the company prides itself on a di inclusive diversity in hiring, but the only way you look at this company if you're over 40 is if you are significantly experienced. Experienced, so more of a high-level position. Age discrimination, very real. Yeah, this is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. All I can say is, wow, it is an absolute bloodbath in the stock market today. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down 
576 points. That's that's a 2% drop. That's that's enormous, and it's been getting worse as the day has gone on. The NASDAQ, which is a lot of tech stocks, that's down um, 136 points. That's 1.5%. Um, it, it's just a bloodbath. What's going on? It, it's coronavirus fears. I mean, it's it, it's th- this panic almost that's setting in about what the coronavirus is going to do to the, the economy world globally. I mean, is it going to eliminate travel? You've heard the reports during the day about how airlines aren't flying to China. Is it going to, what's, how is it going to hamper business? Is it where we're going to get to a point where we don't allow imports or exports to China? Um, we're curtailing travel back and forth between China and the United States and the rest of the world. Again, you, you don't, my advice is always, and I'm I'm not Dave Spano, and I don't play that on the radio. But it, it's not to, you you can't look at a drop of of 580 points and not go, ooh, boy, that that's something else. At the same time, you you don't want to panic and say, okay, because what oftentimes happens is you have a, a situation that will develop a, a, a current event. And it really has nothing to do with stock market fundamentals. And, and what happens is people react to it. And I admit the coronavirus is scary. Nobody knows, you know, what it's going to, the full impact is going to be. But a lot of times if you just react to, you know, what's going on in the moment, it, it ends up, that knee-jerk reaction ends up being bad. Um, but you, you can't not look at this and go, wow, that's, it's not a good day. To, to prove my point, uh, there's going to be something that happens at 11 o'clock this evening, United Kingdom time, which is very reminiscent of what's going on now. And that is, today is the day, finally, after years of going back and forth, today is the day that the United Kingdom exercises its Brexit rules and leaves the European Union. Now, remember, this goes back about three-plus years where you had this referendum. The referendum surprised a lot of people because a lot of people believe that this Brexit, that the people of the United Kingdom weren't weren't going to vote to leave the European Union, but they did. And then remember, in the day or two after that, you had the stock market just completely and totally went into the tank, and then it, it came back. Well, all right, so we're looking at the same thing now, that there is going to be a Brexit, 11 o'clock tonight, UK time, what's that, about 5 o'clock our time, that uh, officially the Great Britain, you know, withdraw, the United Kingdom withdraws from the European Union, the they have like 11 months to kind of work out the, the details. They continue to operate under the um, e- European Union rules for 11 months, but, but then... You know, whatever they settle on, they end up settling on. But Great Britain is no longer going to be part of the European Union, which potentially, you know, moving forward, I don't know how much it's going to affect, you know, individuals. It might affect businesses, and especially if you're shipping products to Great Britain or from Great Britain from other parts of of Europe, it's going to perhaps have an impact. If you live in France and you're used to traveling back and forth to uh, England, for example, it, it may have an issue for tourists well, probably a bit of an inconvenience. But, you know, remember we had all this gloom and doom that was predicted with Brexit. And and now, three years later, it's pretty much ho-hum. Is that happening? All right. I am fascinated by this story. And I want to get your reaction to it. Um, this was in the Wisconsin State Journal. Is it improper for hospitals to ask for money in advance? Now, I ask this question because... 
when when I have had medical procedures, okay, so so last year had a colonoscopy, right? Made arrangements through the hospital in advance of the procedure. Got contacted by the hospital and they said, okay, we've run your insurance. This is this is what it's going to cost you. Right? This is what your share is going to be. Okay, fine. When I go to my dentist and I have a procedure done, like I have a, a crown, I've got a temporary one in, and the permanent one's going in next Friday. All right, they, they tell me, okay, this is what we estimate based on what your insurance is. This is how much <clears throat> we anticipate that you're going to owe. And, and I get that up front. All right, so here's the story, and this is reported in the State Journal. Okay, there's this woman who's due to deliver her baby in a couple weeks. She gets this letter. And the letter says, okay, we, we've run your insurance. We estimate your out-of-pocket cost for the birth is going to be 5600 bucks. We think this is going to cost you that. And then the letter says, well, look, you, you can pay later, but we request that you make a payment of $5,600 prior to the service. And the hospital says, look, our goal is, is to give people a transparent look at what their bill is going to be. We find that when people especially switch to high-deductible plans, they they might not realize what their out-of-pocket cost is. So we tell them in advance, and, yeah, we we ask for payment up front. We'll set up payment plans. We're not going to deny them service. But, yeah, we do send out these letters saying this is what your cost is going to be. Nationally, at least three-quarters of hospital systems ask for payment in advance or when patients arrive for the procedure. All right, they say this helps hospitals collect a higher percentage of patients and let's pay uh, payments and let's patients set up payment plans. All right, our number 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. In your opinion is and and again, let's let's assume that the, these are legitimate bills. This is this is what you're going to owe. Is there anything wrong with a hospital telling you in advance of a procedure what what you're going to owe. Hey, we've run this through your insurance. This is what you're going to owe. And is there anything wrong with them asking for payment in advance? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, maybe, you know, in in this particular story, this woman's having a baby. You know, she's all upset about this. She says, it was cruel that they sent me this notification just a couple weeks before I was supposed to give birth. I don't know. I mean, is it is that any crueler than okay? You give birth and and then you get the bill for fifty six hundred dollars and you're shocked that it was going to be fifty six hundred dollars. I mean, is there anything wrong with hospitals telling you how much in advance it's going to cost you and then you know saying, hey, we'd like you to pay up front. We're not going to make you pay up front, but we'd like you to pay up front. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think. Not telling people up front what the costs are going to be, I think that's one of the reasons that people perhaps have problems, you know, with the uh, medical expenses. I don't see what's wrong with telling them up front what it's going to be, and to the extent they ask for payment in advance, well, lots of places ask for payment in advance. 
I mean, try pumping gas nowadays without having a credit card or going in and prepaying it. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is there anything wrong with your hospital, your doctor, you know, getting a notice in advance of a procedure saying, hey, you know, you're having you're having this root canal. We've run it through your insurance and we anticipate that, you know, you're going to owe four hundred and thirty dollars and we want the money at the time of the procedure. Is, is there anything wrong with them doing that if they choose to? My answer would be not really. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. I'd rather know what it's going to be, and I'd rather be asked for the payment or make, if I can't make the payment, to make arrangements for a payment plan or something than all of a sudden to get this big old bill that I can't pay. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 855-616-1620 is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 855-616-1620, getting a number of texts. Jeff, I, I think this policy is great. Um, they did it for my wisdom teeth when I had them out. I was told how much insurance was paid, and I was asked before the procedure to pay, you know, what the balance was going to be. Jeff, I appreciate knowing in advance. Like you said, hospitals make payment arrangements, and they're pretty flexible. If it's a financial for burden for people, maybe they can plan better financially to cover the cost. Um, certainly not an option for a woman about to deliver, but, you know, nevertheless, let them know. All right, 855-616-1620. Let's start with uh, John and Dousman. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. What do you think? I, I think they should send you the bill and then work on a payment plan. But like that lady who's pregnant, that ain't the first time she's been in the hospital. You're going for your ultrasounds and stuff to get right. to in, And they could turn her husband to start setting money aside. Well, I think it's just better off if you send you the bill and tell you how much it's going to be so you can forecast, you know, your payments in the future. Well, well, right. It, exactly. And thanks. I mean, I mean, right. As opposed to, I mean, thanks for calling. As opposed to, okay, you, you go ahead. Now, in this case, it's a pregnancy situation, so it's not an optional sort of thing. And But she said, okay, I get it two weeks beforehand, and, and they're asking me to pay up front, but they're, they're saying I don't have to. Well, all right, I understand where the hospital's coming from. They, they, they want to get their money. They're trying to encourage people to do it. They're not saying we're not going to provide you services, but they're saying, you know, we'd prefer that you pay up front if you can. At the very least, this is how much the bill is going to be, and you know whether whether we give it to you a week before you have the procedure or ten days after the procedure doesn't change the fact that you're going to owe fifty six hundred dollars. I mean, it's it's it, the bill isn't going to go away. Now, if you have a beef over the bill, that's a different story. Chris in Cedarburg, Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hi, I agree with you guys completely. Um, if you need tires for your car, you know when you go to the higher place that you what you're going to have to pay for and how much they're going to cost and the pregnant woman has been pregnant for nine months and you know gone are the days when you could pay for a service with a pound of butter and a chicken so you know you have to plan ahead and work out a payment plan or you know save your money because with it's a service Right. Now, do you think it's unreasonable for the hospital to ask, not require, but ask for the money to be paid up front? Is that unreasonable? No, I just think it's a gentle reminder that they have a responsibility and, you know, they're on the table getting, you know, a medical procedure and, you know, you got to pay for it. Yeah. If if there's going to be. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, that, that that see, that's I mean, you know, that's that's it. And I look. 
I, I understand that we don't like to think of hospitals or doctors or dentists or, or, or as a business, but, but the reality is that, that, that they are. And, and they're, they have an interest in trying to get paid. So I guess I don't, I, I am not offended. When, you know, I go into the doctor and they say, okay, this procedure has a copay. Or when, when I go into my dentist, who I love, and they say, okay, well, this is, you know, this is, this is what you are going to owe. And, you know, that, that, that's great. And I say, okay, here, here's, here's the money. Let me write you a check. Let me give you a HSA card or, or whatever. Um, it, it's not like they refuse to do the procedure, but they, they'd like to get paid and they deserve to get paid. And candidly, I like to know up front how much it is that I'm I'm going to owe. Plus, you know, it, it solves the problem of having to fight this out later on. It solves the problem. And again, it's perhaps a bad example with somebody who's about to give birth. But even at that rate, you, you probably still have a little bit of choice as to where you're going to go. But let's say you're considering having some you're having some sort of non-emergency procedure. And it's elective surgery or whatever. I mean, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with the hospital, the doctor, you know, whatever, saying, okay, this is what we've calculated your cost to be, and you, you know it, and, and we'd like to be paid, you know, up, up front on this, whether it's a credit card or, or whatever, because, you know, we don't want to be in the business of, of tracking you down and trying to get the money later on. I don't think that's reason, unreasonable. I mean, I will tell you, you got a lot of, um, I'll tell you, there's a lot of lawyers. You know, my, my former profession, you know, there's a lot of lawyers. That's one of the reasons they have retainers and things like that because, you know, they, they don't want to get into a situation where they've provided services and, and they're trying to, they've given estimates and they're trying to collect from clients who decide that they don't want to, to pay. Jeff in Watertown. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Well, thank you for your, for taking my call. Yes, sir. Yes, I think, I think they do have a, a right to do that. I think they can tell you because it, you know, the, it saves the sticker shock after a while. But I also believe they have, they should give you an option, you know, that, okay, you don't have to pay it right now. Right. But if, we, if you don't pay it, then we're going to have to set up some payment plans here, you know, or so, you know, it's got to get paid one way or the other. Right. And I, my understanding is that's what the letters say. I, I don't think there's any letters where they say, hey, OK, it's going to be fifty six hundred dollars. If you don't pay up front, we're you know, we're not going to let you have the baby at our hospital. But it's more like this is what it's going to cost. We would prefer that you pay in advance of the service. But if not, that, that's OK. We're going to bill you, but it's going to be fifty six hundred bucks. I guess I just have no problem with that. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, for I don't either. I, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, because because at the end of the day, people are people are going to owe that at some point in time. One of the big complaints that a lot of us have, or that people have, about the the whole medical care system is the fact that there isn't transparency. You don't know how much stuff is going to cost until you suddenly get the bill. Jenny in Milwaukee. Hi, Jenny. You're on WTMJ. Hi. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think about all this? Um. Well, two things. I know you've covered the emergency situation. You know. Um, I would say, you know, my mother, with the best of intentions, had her hospitals picked out beforehand. And with all three of us, she ended up going to different hospitals because of where she was located or it was an emergency. So, you know, that was that was back in the day. But, you know, it, it, it comes up where it, you can have the best of intentions of going somewhere and then something happens and you end up. So if you do prepay, well, now what happens to that money? You know, is it, what's the oh. is there a refund process or you know, something like that. Well, I think, I mean, I mean, thanks. For, I mean, obviously, if you, 
if you pay in advance for something and you don't use the service, you you get the money. I mean, you get the money back. They're, they're, they wouldn't be entitled to that. I think. I guess the the she intended to use the service. I mean, yeah, clearly. You know, if somebody says, "Hey, I want an advance payment from you. Hey, I want you to put down a reservation uh, for one night on that hotel room stay, and we've got a cancellation policy that lets you cancel, you know, three weeks beforehand, and you cancel earlier, you get your money back. They don't get to keep that, and I don't think anybody says they should. I, I guess. I this is this huge controversy and and the lady and her husband think that they were you know that this is predatory and stuff. I, I look the bottom line is you know I, we none of us like to pay for health care, but that's just kind of the reality that's out there. And I, I'm a big believer in transparency. I want to know how much stuff is going to cost. I want to be able to make informed decisions. And I guess it, just telling me in advance that hey this procedure is going to cost you fifty six hundred dollars out of pocket. I don't see a harm in telling that. And from a business perspective, I don't have a problem with the hospital saying, hey, we'd, we'd like you to pay up front. Don't have a problem with it. Um, we got a lot of stuff left on today's program, including a very timely and topical Pop Culture Corner. Stick around. It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. And now, here is Jeff Wagner. All right. The big controversy at the Super Bowl last year was the ad for Bud Light and corn syrup. And, and maybe by my saying that, you go, yeah, I kind of remember that. That's that that's it's still in litigation. As a matter of fact, there in April, there's arguments in front of the United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit on whether or not it was a fair ad or things like that. But the bottom line is. These things come and go, and and we forget about them. Now, the Super Bowl, of course, is going to be on Sunday. I watch the Super Bowl, and I'm hoping it's a good game, but I also watch it for for the ads. And every year on the Monday after the Super Bowl, we'll sit down, and I'll do what probably every talk show host in the country is going to do, and we'll, we'll dissect them, and we'll talk about some variation of it. But at the end of the day, there's going to be a ton of money spent 30-second ads cost five mil. 60-second ads cost ten uh, cost ten million dollars. Ten million dollars for 60-second ad. And what I always find is some of the most creative ads, and even the day after they the air, I'll, I'll say to somebody, "Okay, what was that ad that you liked?" They say, "I love that ad with the little kid in the box and all that stuff." And then I will say, "What was it for?" And they'll go, I don't with some car or something. And all I keep thinking is if I was spending $5 million, if WTMJ was spending $5 million <clears throat> to promote the Jeff Wagner show in the Super Bowl, I, 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 I guarantee you that you would know what that ad was for. I mean, if you're going to spend $5 million, sometimes I think these things get so creative that they lose touch. Everybody goes, oh, that was a really cool ad. It was really, really creative. What was it for? I'm not exactly sure what that was. So there will be hits. There will be misses. And to me, it's always kind of interesting about what, what makes a commercial work. And for me, at the end of the day, it's a, what makes a commercial work is number one, it identifies a product, and number two, it makes you want to go out and purchase the product. I mean, the thing can be incredibly cute and clever and whatever, but if it doesn't promote product awareness and at the end of the day make you want to use the product or buy the product, I would say why bother? So, in anticipation of us all engaging in the national cottage industry of watching and rating the commercials on, on Sunday. I thought we would have a pop culture corner dedicated to commercials, not Super Bowl commercials. 
And I acknowledge that this might one might be a little bit esoteric, more esoteric than some of the ones we've done. But here is my question. And again, this is one where I really encourage you to go with your first instinct. What do you think is the best commercial that you've ever seen? And, and best could be most memorable. Best could be it really made an impression on me. Best could be, you know, I, I wasn't thinking of ever buying this particular product, or I saw this ad, and boom, it it made me switch. Or, hey, this was such an entertaining ad. I loved this whole ad campaign. It made me want to try it. That The best commercial or series of commercials ever, your all-time number one, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As I always say, and this one is particularly appropriate, don't overthink this. Go with your first instinct. And I do encourage you to call early because our phone lines tend to jam up and we want to get to as many calls as we possibly can. The best commercial ever. We're back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Now back to Take Your Calls. Here's Jeff Wagner. About 3 o'clock can't come soon enough. I, in Just since we talked about the stock market, Dow's down another plus 100 points. It's down 661 points. That's 2.2%. NASDAQ down 166, that's 1.7%. Somebody said, I wouldn't call it a bloodbath. I mean, it's not like the market, it's not a complete crash. No, it's not a crash, but um, dropping 600 plus points is not a good thing. All right, let's have some fun. The most memorable commercial ever. Let's start with uh, Jeff in Milwaukee. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. What do you think? Thanks for taking the call. Sure. I love, you said the first one that comes to mind. Right. It's the old the old Bob Euchre Miller Lite commercials. Right. The, I must be in the front row. Are you talking about like the whole series, the the taste great, less filling with well, Billy Martin and all those guys? Well, kind of the whole series, yeah. but the front row, the one that he's in the swimming pool. Right. Um, yeah, the the whole thing, but but the front row is certainly the great one. Yep. You, you know, know I, that's I, the one that. Yeah, I will tell you. I mean, th- thanks to call. I will tell you. Certainly, in my top two or three, it would be those original Miller Lite ads. The, you know, the taste great, the less filling, um, with, with the you know the the old baseball players, the old ball players, and then they morphed it in. They did a couple of those with like the supermodels and stuff that would argue. I it it actually made me want to try light beer. And at the end of the day, that's that's one of the things that I, I think you know you that's how you judge an ad. Does it really make you want to? Go Go buy the product. All right, here's we've got a ton of text on this. Here's one that uh, Mean Joe Green and Coca Cola. Remember, remember that one where it's Mean Joe Green, the player for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and the, the kid, and you know the the kid gives him the Coca Cola, and Joe Green's all sweaty and hot, and he just pounds down the Coke, and then he turns around, and he gives his jersey to the kid. Memorable ad. And it, it really, I think it made you want to go buy Coca-Cola. Let's talk to Bill in Manitowoc. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, There's only one. Where's the beef? <laughs> the the ad for Wendy's. Clara Peller for Wendy's. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That sticks with you to this day. It, it does, you know, thanks for calling. You know, the interesting story about that is, you know, he's talking about the Wendy's ad and and Clara Peller. For those people who might not be familiar familiar with 
with it. It was an, an older woman, and she'd say, where is the beef? And she'd be looking at, like, some little other hamburger that was made at some other fast food place. And, you know, incredibly effective. She only did it for a little while. I think the story is she ended up winning more money, and they couldn't agree on an amount. So, you know, the, the, those ads only ran for a limited period of time. But definitely, definitely, I think, um, memorable. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's Let's talk to Trisha. Hi, Trisha. Hello. Okay, the most memorable ad. It's going to sound dumb, but the Budweiser horses protecting the puppy uh-huh. from the wolves. I, you know, I ha- I cannot tell you how many texts I have from people all saying variations of the, the Budweiser horses, the Clivesdale ads, but the, the one ad in those that everybody says is the one by protecting the puppy, the one with the dogs. Really? Yeah, no. <laughs> then I don't feel so dumb. <laughs> no, you don't feel dumb? Well, <laughs> thanks for the call, Trisha. No, you shouldn't feel dumb anyways. But no, I mean, those were clearly memorable ads. Now, the... I don't know. Does that do those ads make you want to go out and buy a Budweiser? That that I don't know. But at least they they clearly they're memorable and they promote the product. And nobody is going to end up saying, "Well, I don't know what this was for." I, you know, I was mentioning this the other day. One of the ads that I vividly remember, one of the Super Bowl ads, and it was a few years ago with the Star Wars theme, and there was the kid out in the front lawn. Remember, and, he, and he's dressed like Darth Vader, and he he's doing the thing, trying to like turn the car on and stuff, and the dad or the mom i think it's the dad is in the kitchen looking out at this and he hits the key fob and the thing opens up and the kid gets this you know incredible reaction that was a great ad i I don't remember what kind of car it was for though julie in mequon julie you're on wtmj uh i was going to say the mean joe green one but then as i'm sitting here thinking i'm thinking of the baby in the crib but honestly, I don't I don't remember what the product was. <laughs> Isn't that but, funny? But the baby was so so good at tell, uh, some financial thing, I think. Right. Something right. that they're selling financial, and the baby in the crib was so cute. Uh, but I think that's an example of the overkill. Yeah, <laughs> that you don't remember anything about it. Well, like I say, if 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 if, if I was ever going to, if somebody was ever going to run an ad for five million dollars promoting this show, you, I guarantee you, good, bad, or indifferent, Julie, you would remember at least what the ad was for. <laughs> um, no, but they, but but, but me- do we? But do we? Right. We well, don't really. No, no, no. But I mean, but the Mean Joe Green ad, you remember that was for Coke, right? Right. I yeah. do remember that one. Yep. Yeah. No, thanks. But that's, for, right, you know. no, but, no, but that's it. No, thanks for your call. So that's that's always kind of the question. Okay, uh, let's get to a couple of texts before we go back to those. Um, a Life cereal commercial. Um, give it to Mikey. He'll eat anything. Number of people are saying that they the Budweiser frogs. Um, yeah, that's the those were those were one two. Um, let's see. That 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 that. Um, uh, Betty White, the Snickers ads. Yeah, anything with Betty White is is all you can't go um you can't go wrong with that. Oh, somebody saying that the kid with the dressed up as Dark Vader, that was the uh that was for uh VW. That was the brand. Um Budweiser the 911 tribute. Yeah, a number of people are are mentioning the Budweiser 911 tribute. Budweiser always does a a great job. Sandy in Sheboygan. Sandy, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks Hi, for taking the call. Sure. Yeah. I'm, uh, we love, and my kids, 
I'm sorry, the dogs in the car. My kids made me go out and buy Oscar Mayer bologna, and we didn't even write bologna <laughs> because of the kid that sang that song. Right, right, uh, right. The, the, you got the Oscar Mayer song. Well, and that was just kind of this memorable jingle. Yeah, thanks for calling. No, that's that. That's. You know, everybody can do like the Oscar Mayer song, and it just kind of uh, it sticks with you. Let's talk to Mike and cut Hey, Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Mine was a FedEx commercial from the Super Bowl about 10 years ago uh, where they had a caveman and a dinosaur ends up stomping on the caveman at the end of the commercial. <laughs> okay. Now I'm making a note. It was for FedEx. Is that what it was for? It was for FedEx. Yeah, it was for FedEx. Okay, now I'm going to have to go back and kind of see if, <laughs> if it's out there because it's it's not registering with me. But it was memorable. But but again, you remember it was for FedEx. You know, it's stuck in oh, your yeah. mind. Yeah. No, thanks for calling. That that's it. I mean, see, that's one of the keys. It, it sticks in your mind. It's entertaining, and um, you knew what it was for. Scott in Elm Grove. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey Jeff, thanks for taking my call. Thank you for you know, calling. I think over the last several years. The Doritos have really stepped it up with their time machine. But yeah. I remember one where the husband was with his wife who was expecting an ultrasound, and they had the, uh, the baby on the ultrasound uh, screen, and he was eating Doritos, oh. and he was putting the Dorito like to the screen, and like the baby was trying to grab it. And his wife looks at him with obviously disgust and takes a chip out of his hand and throws it, and then you see the baby on the screen like go after it. And yeah. that was like they cut. I, yeah, it I re- was yeah, hilarious. Yeah, Doritos. I mean, thanks. Doritos has really stepped up their game. No question about. It. Okay, here's a couple more texts. The um, uh, the master lock padlock ad where they shot the the lock. Um, you know, now all these years later, the caller says that the padlock is continued. But I remember that number of people are doing the Wendy's ad. The you know where's where's the beef. Uh, let's see. The oh boy, this takes you back memory lane. The Miller High Life commercials with Wendell, the delivery guy, was one of my favorite series of commercials, especially the one second Super Bowl commercial. Yeah, I remember that. Jeff, Michael Jordan, Larry Bird's McDonald's commercial where they were making unbelievable shots was, um, you know, very memorable as well. It certainly um, was. Kmart's I shipped my pants free shipping offer. Remember they did that about 10 years ago? Yeah, I um, I do remember that as well. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, Jacob in Fredonia. Jacob, hello. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. How about... Um, Psycho, so easy a caveman can do it. <laughs> right, the, right. The, the different caveman stuff, that kind of sticks in your mind, huh? Absolutely, absolutely. Even I can do it. Even <laughs> Anyone can do it. Thanks for, you know, it... it it, you know, that was one that was kind of controversial because it, it, it sort of bounced both ways. You know, people either loved it or hated it. Kind of like the one that they show nowadays the guy with the emo um with you know with the yeah it's an emu you know limu the emu the thing for liberty insurance i just um people either love it or hate it i kind of um probably fall into the other commercial uh other category oh uh cindy crawford and pepsi um is you know that that's right where the supermodel drinking the pepsi can't go wrong with that timex Takes a licking and keeps on ticking. Yep, you've got that as well. Um, let's see. Um, have another Nutter Butter peanut butter sandwich cookie there by Nabisco. Yeah, you got that one as well. Let's talk to Bill in Manitowoc. Bill, you're on WTMJ. 
Yeah, this is a different bill. Uh, I was going to say the Doritos Time Machine, too, but so my original one was the original Elka Seltzer commercial when they had that stick figure and uh, plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief is. Well, yeah, you know, but let's go, let's go a little bit further in time, Bill. Uh, move up a little bit. You know, I mean, remember the campaign that Elka Seltzer used to have about the I can't believe I ate the whole thing? And, you know, they had the, the oh, guys, right, the, right. Ble- the bleary eyed guys dropping the Elka Seltzer into the water. Yeah, I remember those. Right. Yeah. Now, thank, right. Thanks, right. It was it, for those of you who, if we we're dating ourselves, it would always be uh, some guy who who wakes up and hung over or whatever, and heartburn or whatever, and is sitting there in his pajamas, and he dropped the Alka Seltzer into the thing and go, "I can't believe I ate the whole thing." All right, I'm I'm kind of out of time. I'm sorry. We have just a ton of ton of uh, texts and ton of phone calls that we couldn't get to. Uh, bottom line is, it's always fun, I think, to go back and think about commercials. For me. I, the, the Miller Lite ads, the, the whole taste grade is less fi- less filling ads. And you know what? Those are ones that I think, in my opinion, at least stood the test of time. You know, Miller Lite, they could run at, they could run those ads again, you know, update them with new celebrities or whatever. And I think it would be just effect, as effective as they were, you know, back in the day. So hopefully there will be a couple memorable ads at the Super Bowl this Sunday. As you watch them, though, if you say, that was pretty cute, that was pretty funny. All right, again, just ask yourself. Two hours later, do you remember what the ad was for? All right, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind in just a minute. Please stick around. Thanks for participating in Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Tune in next week as Jeff Wagner explores another pop culture topic.